0: Well, one more time, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. So glad that you're here and with us. A couple of very brief announcements as we get started. First of all, I want to welcome everyone here at the Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those that are joining us in the Ferndale campus and those who are watching online as well. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock is an ownership class. We're not big on membership, per se, at Christ the King, but we're huge on ownership And so if you'd like to investigate more about what it means to become a part of the core of Christ the King, if you've been kind of hanging around the edges for a little while, now it's time to step towards the center of the circle, we would love to facilitate that. And if you could uh, pre-register at the Connection Point out in the uh, Commons here in Bellingham or at, uh, at the Connection Point in Ferndale, we would certainly appreciate you doing that. If you'll open your program, I'm gonna ask you to grab that little green envelope again this week. Last week, we introduced to both campuses uh, what we do at Christ the King is called the Christ the King Blessing. Every year as a church, we gather together to be somebody else's miracle. And every year we have an opportunity to, to hear the stories of how people's generosity of Christ the King has helped um, other people out in a time of incredibly deep need. I showed you last week that you can go to the CTK Bellingham website, and, and as you open that website, uh, you'll be able to, to find the stories of the blessing there. And And tonight, I'd like to read you another story from a very, very real family, and uh, it goes like this. It says, Roseanne Johnson's life was changed dramatically when she answered the door to a Sudden Valley security guard in the middle of the night in late August of 2009. Her 27-year-old son, Adam, had fallen 15 feet straight down a concrete stairway, landing on his head. As I was getting dressed, I knew in my heart it was really bad, she said. Yet even at that moment, God gave me peace and strength just as he says he will. For more than nine years, Roseanne's been a single mom of two boys, Adam and Evan, admittedly having to be strong and independent as the provider for her household. After attending CTK for a year, she felt the Lord's strong prompting to use her gifting as an interpreter for the deaf and serves at the 10 o'clock service. Also to join a small group, though she wondered how to fit it all in, working long hours and commuting for her job. Having a small group of people that I love and who love me, having them call in the middle of the night, To come to the hospital within hours of the accident is a blessing I can't even put into words, Roseanne says. They held me up in their prayers from day one. Adam sustained severe head injuries, including shattering a portion of his skull, which produced brain trauma. He remained unconscious for nearly three weeks. While the hospital staff was preparing Roseanne for the worst, prayer people from all over were gathering to intercede for Adam's healing. Roseanne's small group came together as a team and individually to pray for Adam at his bedside Roseanne found herself torn between the need to continue working and wanting to be with Adam when he came out of his coma. After CTK's care team received the news, they went to work. They recognized the heavy load of stress and worry Roseanne was carrying because of her decreasing paychecks due to the time she was spending with Adam. Through the generosity of the people at Christ the King, through the CTK blessing, they were able to pay Roseanne's upcoming mortgage payment and help lift that burden. That's what the Christ the King blessing is all about helping people who find themselves in financial crisis most often through no fault of their own. The care team made arrangements for meals on a longer-term basis and also provided advice as Roseanne navigated the complicated system of health care and getting state assistance. Adam is now doing well. That's the good news. On the road to recovery, despite the bleak prognosis he received, he went from the hospital ICU to inpatient recovery and then home within five weeks of the injury and now his healing continues. Roseanne says, every day, I have the reassurance of love from my CTK family, because they made all the difference. If you were a part of the blessing last year, you got to be a part of Adam's recovery and his journey. And I know Roseanne and their whole family so deeply indebted to those people who decided that they were going to take the blessing that they'd received from God and were able to pass it on to other people. That's what the blessing's all about. We try very hard at Christ the King to to practically work our our salvation out with people who just desperately need a a helping hand from time to time. And like I've said, uh, this little green envelope is between you and God. You can do whatever it is that you want with it. I'm just laying the opportunity in front of you. My prayer is that if you have been blessed in any way that you'll become somebody else's miracle uh, during this Thanksgiving and Christmas season and I'll leave that to your good consideration. All right. I've been waiting and freaking out about this message all week long. (laughs) I grew up in a home where secular music was not allowed. I still remember sneaking to the record store. For those of you who don't know what a record store is, some of us actually grew up in a time when we played our CDs on big black discs about this big around. If you don't believe me, you can Google it, okay? Um, So I snuck away to the record store and I bought my first copy of The Devil's Music from a band called ABBA, (laughs) all right? (laughs) I'm so not lying about that, okay? All right? And a few months later, after my guilt about that transgression had gone away, by the way, my parents are watching online. Hi, Mom and Dad. The the ABBA album is up in my closet behind a shoebox. It's still there. Okay, um, they can go find it, all right? All right? But after a few months, my guilt had gone away, and I decided I was going to up the ante a little bit, so I bought an album by a young lady named Debbie Boone. The album was called You Light Up My Life. Okay, Bellingham and Ferndale, cop to it. If you know the song, put your hand up in the air. Yes! All right, okay. So... There was a song on that album that's the most codependent love song that's ever been written in, in the history of mankind. I believe You Light Up My Life is sung by stalkers as they rock back and forth in their cars in front of innocent people's houses like yours. Because in that song, we find this week's lie, because it says this, it can't be wrong when it feels so right, cause you you lied oh stop it that's so wrong (laughs) that is so wrong in so many ways oh my goodness all of our cool points just left the room all right so but that's the lie the lie is if it looks or feels right it can't be wrong i mean that's a candy-coated lie the devil uh, the devil loves to whisper to us he said you know but it feels good and it feels good. And God wants you to feel good, right? So you should just do that because it feels good. We started this series seven weeks ago in the book of Genesis where Satan lies to Adam and Eve about God and, and he tells them, you can go ahead and eat from the tree that God said you weren't supposed to. You can eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's gonna to be totally fine. And Satan tempts Eve to not place her trust in God and to doubt what God says to be true. And the Bible says he actually walks her over to the tree and presents an opportunity for her. And this is what happens in Genesis 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, then she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Do you see how it happens? The enemy just says, it looks good. It looks good, doesn't it? It looks good. I'll bet it feels even better. I mean, and and it convinces her, you know, your eyes would never lie to you. Your sense of touch would never lie to you. No, no, you like it. And then it becomes desirable. And pretty soon she stops looking and she starts touching because it looks right. It feels right. And suddenly because it looks right and feels right, she's thinking in her mind, it can't possibly be wrong. It's got to be right. Everything adds up. But here's the kicker. It was wrong because God said it was wrong. So she had to think counterintuitively in the moment. I mean, there's a foundation underneath of this lie. And if we don't understand the foundation, we're going to get sucked into the lie. If it feels right, it can't be wrong. Here's the foundation. The foundation is this. You can trust your experiences and your conscience. Now, just so we're clear, the statement, you can trust your experiences and your conscience is a part of the lie because the truth is you can't trust either of them. Most of our experiences come to us through our five senses, the way we feel, what we see. That's how we we decide we're going to decide between right and wrong. I mean, if you don't think you can be influenced by your five senses, let, let me just show you how they can't be trusted. I mean, think about it. How has your vision affected your driving record? Just think about it, right? I didn't see anybody coming. I thought I had lots of room to stop. No, officer, I swear, my speedometer said 60. I saw it with my own two eyes, right? How about your taste? Anybody ever eaten anything that came back to haunt you later on? I mean, it tasted good going down, but when it reversed course, ah, right? How about touch? Anybody ever touched poison ivy? How'd you do with that, right? It was just foliage. It looked like a pretty bush to you. And then you decided to rub it all over yourself and you lived with the pain of it. What about smell? Years ago, I was on a Mexico missions trip. It was hot. Got up to 115 to 117 degrees every single day. I was dying. We were actually building a building. And one day I'm walking back to where we're staying and I see a sign that says in English, ice cold milk. And I'm thinking, it's so hot, I want some ice cold cold milk. So I walked up to the milk guy. I put down my money. He gave me a carton of ice cold milk. And when that first chunk hit my teeth, I knew I was in trouble. When the smell of that hit my nose, I'll tell you what, it did not smell like ice cold milk. You can't trust your senses. How about hearing? I can't trust my hearing anymore. I mean, Laurel will tell you, my favorite new word is, what? (laughs) I mean, that's just the new thing in our family. We can't trust our senses. They're not infallible. They're attached to a human being who's very much fallible. In fact, let me tell you the truth about your experiences, which come out of your five senses. Proverbs 14, 12 sums it up this way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. It looks right. It feels right. It may even smell right. But it may not be right. You can't trust your experiences, even though they seem right. And some of us say, well, that's no problem. Don't worry about the experiences. I still have my conscience, right? Can I tell you something about your conscience? You can't trust that either. You can't trust your conscience because I don't know about you, but I can make my conscience say anything I want it to. I can turn my conscience up. I can turn my conscience off when I don't want to listen to it. Paul's talking about the conscience of a group of people, church people, actually in Ephesians, and this is what he says when he reveals the truth about your conscience. Ephesians 4 says this So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, so it's a big deal, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, they're darkened in their understanding. And separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. My friends, here's the deal with your conscience your conscience is in trouble because it's connected to your brain and to your heart. Your brain is wired to completely and totally focus on you, and your heart can become hard when you choose to do your own thing and not follow God. Trusting your conscience is a recipe for disaster. I mean, let's just be honest. Can we? We base most of our decisions on what is right and what is wrong by how it feels. If it feels right, it must be God. If it feels wrong, ah, I might just you know, navigate it or negotiate it for a second. But, but really, when it comes down to it, that's how we base most of our decisions. Now, I know some of you are just looking, duh, Grant, this is so remedial. I don't believe that it feels right. It can't be wrong. I mean, so can we just move on? I think I'm... I think I've got this one down. I know it's a little bit subtle, but I know better than that. Thank you very much. I learned that all the way back in Sunday school. Before we're so quick to just dismiss this lie, I gave you uh, six different modern expressions of the same thing. Maybe you've heard yourself saying some of these before. Let's try this one on for size. I've always been this way. I've always been this way. Maybe you've ever heard that before. I have a problem, but that's, this is just the way I am. I can't change. I'd like to change, but I can't because this is just the way I am. And when we say this is just the way I am as an excuse, what we're really saying is we're stuck and that God may have been able to change other people, but he can't possibly change us because we're special in a dysfunctional sort of way, Right? Here's the assumption that goes with the excuse that I've always been this way. It's a false assumption, but we say it anyway. Because I've been this way, I must continue to be this way in the future. That doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, what an incredible place of despair to think you're actually doomed to the sins of your past and the generations in front of you or behind you. I mean, I know people that say, you know, my dad was an alcoholic guy with an anger problem and my grandpa was an alcoholic with an anger problem, so... I guess I'm just going to have to be an alcoholic with an anger problem. I mean, what an unbelievable place of despair. I've found myself saying that before. I I just, I don't think I can change. This is just the way I am. And we actually do a subtle blame shift. It's like, it's because God made me this way, so it's all His fault. I mean, I'd like to ask a question to the believers in the room. How do you pray the lie, I've always been this way? I mean, how do you pray that? I mean, do you say, God, I know you're the creator of all things in heaven and on earth. You're the most powerful force in the universe, but the bottom line is I'm a jerk and I don't think you can take that out of me. I'm too big of a challenge for you, God. I can't change because I've always been this way. Is that how you pray that one? I mean, and if you believe that, what do you do with 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone The new has come. I mean, of all of the people on the face of the earth, God's people should be the first ones to put their hand up and go, I am so not that way anymore. I used to be that way. I used to act that way. I was a complete and total lost cause. But then God stepped in and now I'm no longer that way. Now I'm his way. Glory to God and praise to Jesus because he actually turned me around. I mean, but I think we've found ourselves... How about this one? Let's try this one on for a How about everybody else is doing it? Everybody else is doing it. Maybe you've heard this before. I wasn't the only one. Or well, that's the way every politician does it. Or everybody cheats on their taxes. Or my personal favorite. Oh, yeah? Well, the guy who passed me was going even faster. <laughs> <laughs> We just moved beyond preaching to meddling, didn't we? Yes, we did. I mean, what are we doing when we justify our actions by involving everybody else's stuff? I'll tell you what we're doing. What we're actually saying is the more people that sin, the more tolerant God becomes. Well, that would be wrong, according to my Bible. When we say everybody else is doing it, we're making this false assumption, and the assumption goes like this. If everybody else is doing it, that God doesn't take it as seriously. I mean, it's like we walk around going, "Woohoo! there's safety in numbers, and as long as I'm fornicating in a pack, I'm all good, right? You know, if you believe that, you probably need to read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah because God didn't tolerate that. In fact, He barbecued the whole pack together because <laughs> they wouldn't straighten up. How's this one? Oh, this one, of my favorites. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone. This is the excuse we use when it only involves us, right? You hear words like, no harm, no foul. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not hurting anybody. Can't be wrong then. I mean, can I ask a question if you ever say that? Aren't you an anybody? Aren't you a somebody? Isn't what you're doing, whether you're doing it just by yourself or to yourself, do you think that doesn't matter to God? I think it matters incredibly to God. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but you were one of the people that he died for, so you didn't have to just do that to yourself. Do we get that? As long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Here's the false assumption that comes with that one. It's if I can't see the harm in something, then it must not be harmful. I mean, this part of the lie scares me to death because at the base of it is a belief that somehow we're smart enough to figure out our own moral code, and as long as we're okay with it, then God better be okay with it because after all, God's here to make me happy. Whoa. Let's just stop right there, all right? Just so we are completely clear, we... Left to our own devices can completely corrupt our own moral code and God is not okay with it. That's why he sent Jesus here to save us and in spite of our insolence and our pride to actually do us one better than just trying to make you happy. He actually wants to make you holy which is an upgrade just so we know. Here's the next one. One time won't hurt. It was just one time. I mean I'm I'm just going to go to one party to check it out. And, and if it's really, really bad, then I'm going to back off, you know? I don't usually do this, but I think I'm just going to try it once because then I don't have to call it a sin. I have to call it an experiment, right? I mean, this twisted thinking behind this one is, is one that somehow believes there's no consequences for sin that are committed just once. I mean, we would say that's crazy, but that's what some people do. That's what we say it when we say one time won't hurt. It's like, I only did it once, so I'm good, I mean, think about the false assumption that comes with this one. It's really this, that there are only consequences for repetitive sin. I mean, that one just makes me laugh. It's like somebody says, yeah, it's it's only if you do it over. That's when it crosses God's line. You know? So you can hear people saying, I'm not a bad sinner. I'm very selective. I only do the bad things one time each. And that doesn't count because it was only one time. What? They have a very close friend. He was battled alcoholism his entire life and he and I were talking about this one one time won't hurt just this past week at the end of the conversation he looked at me and he goes I wonder how different my life would have been if I hadn't bought that lie How about this one nobody will know nobody will know This is the lie that follows traveling salesmen back to their hotel rooms This is the lie that follows the lonely girl upstairs into the office so that she can chat with somebody who understands. This is the lie that tempts the young person whose whose parents trusted them to stay home alone for the weekend. There's a scary assumption, a false assumption that comes with this one, and it goes like this, that sin's only wrong when it's observed by another person. I mean, just ignore the fact God's watching and calling and pleading and hoping that we're going to turn to Him instead of turning away. But this is the lie that says, as long as you don't get caught, it's just not that big of a deal. You know, like lots of other lies, this one tricks us into thinking that, that the pain of sin is very short-lived and that the only real price is, is the fact that you get embarrassed because somebody actually catches you doing something wrong. Nobody's going to know. It's not that big deal. I'm not hurting anybody else. And after all, everybody's doing it, right? Okay, here's the last one. But I'm in love. There's one for the ages right there. I mean, I just, this is my experience, okay? People use this statement to justify affairs, to justify doing whatever they want to with their physical body, to keep a relationship going, to justify living together outside of the bonds of a marriage relationship, to justify their need for physical affection. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And I get busted on a fairly regular basis with this question. Grant, why does Christ the King have such a strong stand about sexual purity and marriage and couples living together? Well, let me lay it out for you. We have a strong stand about these things because God loves marriage, because God loves purity. He invented it. He gave it as a gift, and he knows the only appropriate place for physical intimacy is to occur between a man and a woman in a committed covenant marriage relationship that's supposed to last for a lifetime. That's the truth of God's standard, whether we like it or don't. That's what the Bible says. Okay, so here we go. We're going to get really personal now, Right? right? I'm in my office with the young couple. They're living together, and they want to know what God has to say about their situation because they're in love it feels all right. In fact, it feels really, really good that they're able to be this close with each other, and they say, it just feels so right. How could it possibly be wrong? You asked for it. I'm going to answer. Genesis chapter 2. I open my Bible. This is what I read. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife And they will become one flesh. So I turned my Bible around and I asked the guy sitting in front of me, I said, so what word do you see right here? And I point to the word wife on the paper. I said, do you see the word word girlfriend, roommate, significant other, high school sweetheart, friend with benefits, or any other descriptor other than the word wife? He said, no. Okay, then. The words that come next say this, This says they will become one flesh, which means that they're united physically, emotionally, spiritually, and socially, and that God now views them as one person. I said, I need to ask you another question. Do you see anything in there at all about a practice round? (laughs) Anywhere. His response was, but it just seems to make sense, because we need to find out if we're compatible To which I reply, there's another way to find out that you're compatible. It's called talking. (laughs) That's what you do. You have conversations for a really, really, really long time. Find out if your values line up, if your morality lines up, if your belief in God lines up, and you'll figure out whether or not you're compatible or not. He responds, but I thought we were doing ourselves a favor. To which I reply, "What what you need to know is this is the truth about cohabitation you are three times more likely to be divorced in the first three years if you live together than if you don't and then get married the way God wanted you to. That's just reality of statistics. You know? He stops and pauses, and then he goes, well, why would that be? Like, why would we have a higher rate of divorce? It doesn't seem to make sense to me. To which I reply to him, can I show you? He says, sure, go for it. I'm like, okay. So I turn to the girl that he's in love with, and I say, I have a question for you. How does it feel to be good enough to live with, but not good enough to marry? And she picks up her chair, turns it sideways, so she's now looking at the other guy in the office, and she goes, I'd like to know the answer to that question too. Now, just so we're perfectly clear, that conversation can go both ways, ladies and gentlemen, all right? Because sometimes it's not just the guy on this one. You know, I said, Look, you guys, you're not in love. You think you are. You know, if I'm going to be really honest, you're not in love, you're actually in lust. And I know that's true. Because if you, pointing it to the guy, really loved her, then you would understand that she's not a princess because you're a prince, but because her heavenly father is a king, and she deserves to be treated that way. You know, uh, I know that what I just said for some people just took your tension level way, 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 way up. Can I just be straight up to those of you who are here in this room in Ferndale who are living together because you think it's right, because it feels right? This is what I want you to know. We love you. We love you enough to actually want you to understand that you're living a lie and that God has a better way And we wouldn't be loving it all if we just let you continue to cruise in that lie, knowing what it could cost you down the road. We love you enough to tell you the truth, that God's got a better standard. So just for the record, we love you. We want you here. We're so glad that you're here. And we would love nothing more than to help you take the steps that you need to take to make your relationship something that God can bless. Can I get an amen from the people in the room? You know, that's what we're here for. You know, here's the deal. But I'm in love is a lie the enemy loves to use to steal intimacy from people down the roads. And if you're one of those couples and you're here tonight, I'm just going to tell you something. Young lady, if if your significant other just put his arm around your shoulder and said, don't listen to him, baby. I mean, (laughs) you don't need to listen to him. I mean, we're special. We're an exception. You light up my life, right? Okay? (laughs) I just want you to know, if that happened, this is what he's really saying. He's saying loving me is more important than loving God. He's trying to get you to buy into an assumption, and the assumption is this, that somehow love is more important than obedience. And whoever's on the talking end, he or she they're wrong it's a lie all right let's get ready to bring this in for a landing the lie is if it feels right it can't be wrong here's the truth the truth is this what's right is always in alignment and it's always in alignment first of all with the bible scripture is our moral compass Scripture is our life guide. Scripture teaches us not just what to think, but how to think. Scripture teaches us how to be able to separate out what's, what's a lie and what's the truth. The Word of God says this in 2 Timothy 3. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I've done everything I can tonight to, to teach and Rebuke and correct and train, and sometimes it's hard. I mean, sometimes it's uncomfortable. I mean, I can feel the tension level in the room, believe me. But the question is this. Regardless of what you've decided in your life is right, my question is, is it in alignment with what God's Word says? Because if it doesn't line up with God's Word, that means it's not right. And if it's not right, it means it's wrong. Scripture is the standard of everything we do. Regardless of how it feels, it's got to come in alignment with the Word or it ceases to be right. The Bible also says this, Romans 12. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you want to figure out what God's will is for your life one of the first questions you should ask is what is what I'm doing in alignment with what the Bible says? Because if it's not, you're not in God's will. It's as simple as that. Okay. Secondly, also, if it's going to be right, it's got to be in alignment with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I kind of took apart the conscience thing at the beginning. Well, if you don't have your conscience, what are you supposed to be rely on? <laughs> You're supposed to rely on and trust in the Holy Spirit who promised that he would guide you into all truth. That means every time you're faced with a decision, the first question we should be asking is, God, what do you want to show me? Holy Spirit, would you guide me? Would you make this clear so I don't go in a wrong direction? Pastor Sean's gonna cover this one so well next week. Sean has been getting ready for this. His lie is, I can do this on my own. We all so need to hear that message. But I'm just gonna borrow one little verse that he may be using next week. John 14, 26 says this, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. That's the promise that we never have to try and figure out on our own. That we have someone wiser, more loving, more benevolent, more understanding of justice who will come and teach us everything we need so that we can make decisions that will honor and glorify Jesus. And here's the last one. What needs to be right also needs to be in alignment with godly wisdom. Now, yeah, just so we're clear, okay? The first two, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, are tied in priority order at the top of the list, Okay? There's a a tie at the top for those two things because the Holy Spirit will never contradict the Word and the Word will never contradict the Holy Spirit. They're going to be in alignment 100% of the time. But there is a place for godly wisdom. And you'll know it's godly wisdom if it's saturated in the Word and guided by the Holy Spirit. That's how you know whether or not it's godly wisdom or not. I don't care how godly your advisors may seem if they tell you something that's not in alignment with Scripture and out of step with the Holy Spirit, in that particular moment, they're wrong. No matter how good or nice or friendly they may be, they're wrong. And your ultimate authority is in the first two with the list. Not a fallible human being. Okay? Scripture says this, because godly wisdom is so important when it comes from godly people Scripture says this in Proverbs 12, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. And when I look back on my life, I can think of so many dark moments that didn't seem to start dark. They started with a feeling that was accompanied with these words. It feels right feels right my caution for everyone that that's within my listening range is that we would fully understand that there are a lot of things in this world that feel right the question is does god say they're right Yeah, but granted, it really felt right in the moment. Yeah, I know. But will it feel right 20 years from now? Can you find it if you flip through the pages of your Bible? Does it say it's right? My prayer is that God will take us up a couple of notches when it comes to our discernment about decisions. My prayer is that God will sharpen up that conscience thing. Because I know for a fact, this week at some point, you're going to be confronted with this question, is it right or is it wrong? My prayer is that when that question comes, that the first thing that will pop into your head will be, well, I should probably go and find out what the Bible has to say about this that the first prayer in your mind after that thought will be, Holy Spirit, would you show me what's right and what's wrong? Because this one seems a little murky for me. And that we would open ourselves up to to invite another godly human being, say, here's the situation I'm facing, and I don't know if I'm going to get it right, and I want to, because I think Jesus deserves that from me. So, so, Does it come into alignment with Scripture? Is it in alignment with the Holy Spirit? And then as another broken, fallible human being, can you point me back with wisdom to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit? I have to confess that I face a lot of decisions every week about what's right and what's wrong, That's usually not the first list I go through. This message has been intensely personal this week because I just kept running into situations over and over again where things just seemed a little cloudy. Is it right or is it wrong? And I was embarrassed by the number of times that I started basing a decision not based on what God thought was right but what would feel good for me. I hope you'll walk on this journey with me as we ask God to do difficult work in sharpening and honing our minds, our hearts, and our souls so that we never ever buy the lie, well, if it feels right, it can't be wrong, and instead that we would think it might be right, but I need to know, is it from God? Would you pray with me as we close? God, this one's sticky because it gets uh, right up in our face. So Lord, is these uh, lies, subtle ones, like it's only once... I'm, I'm always going to be this way, or but we're in love. I, God, as that rumbles around in our hearts and our minds, I pray that we would hear from you right now. God, I pray that you just stick your fingers wherever they need to go in my soul so that I wouldn't trust me, but that I would trust you with the decisions of life. God, I pray that that my conscience would be completely replaced by the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, I pray that You would reignite in me a hunger for the Word so that I'm able to discern right and wrong on my Monday through Saturday. And Lord, I pray that for my brothers and sisters. Lord, would You so wrap us in the truth that we'd even be able to pick up some of these subtle lies when they confront us because we know they're coming. So Lord, we ask for your covering, your blessing, your help, and your joy in knowing that anything that is right is in perfect alignment with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you allow us to live right this week? And we pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.